0: Welcome back. Wednesday, March 24th, 2021. The Democrats are obsessed with three things, it seems to me. Immigration, race, and the environment. How are they doing on any of these? Because of ideological protocols outweighing migration protection protocols, the president has created a crisis and an emergency and a human rights disaster at our border. Also, a drug and potential national security catastrophe. On race, we've never been more divided, segregated, race conscious. Even acts of insane, non-politically motivated violence has to be attached to race. Even when it's wrong, and simply not there. I give you the Atlanta spa shootings. And perhaps the Boulder Shopping Center shootings as well. Nearly every liberal-leaning commentator and political leader rushed so quickly to make them about race when they were not, or to look as if the shootings came from the right when they did not, that they should be ashamed. But there can be no shame for those who are shameless. For when you are in the exploitation business, it's important to remember what the word exploit means, to further, to advance. And in the cases of race or immigration, that is what the liberal left does, always advancing, always furthering in light of evidence or in the absence of it. It doesn't matter. It's the advancing of the cause that matters, the furthering of a narrative. what, What it appears we actually have in Atlanta and Boulder is severe mental illness and possibly jihadism. Now, what throughout the COVID pandemic was the last thing the liberal left cared about when it came to mitigation strategies? Mental health. We warned and warned that quarantining the healthy, dramatically disrupting our children's and educational and social lives and putting people out of work, And in isolation would have consequences far worse and more dangerous, if not as consequential and dangerous, as the virus itself. Now we see pediatric emergency admissions for mental problems last year were up nearly a third. Suicides went up, drug use and alcohol abuse went up. We have a disease or virus that eats lungs, So the liberal left was busy pushing the legalization of marijuana that, when smoked, can be as damaging to the lungs as cigarettes and as a drug that dramatically affects the brain. Again, mental issues seem to be far off the map of concerns for the liberal left, and I've never understood it. But don't tell me they're pro-science and pro-medicine and that we are not. They're pro-racialization. That's what they are. And pro-destruction. They think it's creative destruction. But with a country that does not need to be destroyed and is the best regime the world has known, there can be no such thing as creative destruction, only ideological destruction. Starting not with the concern for our mental health as a country, but about propagandizing brains. Remember that word exploit to further to advance. There's not a better way than to start young and continue relentlessly and unremittingly if you're the left and you're in the exploitation business. About a month or so ago, I was warning about the effort to convert toddlers into racists. Now the Washington Post is finally discovering it. This week, they wrote an article titled Social Justice for Toddlers. These new books and programs start the conversation early. The Washington Post author wrote, quote, experts say it's never too early and a new wave of tools and resources can help start the race conversation, close quote. As Matt Philbin put it, and what tools they have, anti-racism flashcards, intersectionality books, a music class that develops understanding of gender and personhood. Wouldn't you like to tuck in the little one with a soothing soothing reading of anti-racist baby or woke baby? Best of all, the Washington Post report says, quote, a drag queen story time will soon be a television show. And those experts urging you to politicize your infant, the Washington Post talks to a woman who sells, quote, a curated box of toys, books and curricula that aim to dismantle bias for kids as young as two years old. Take that genderless potato head. Philbin continued, she consults others who say that, quote, children develop implicit bias as early as three months old and at four years old are categorizing and developing stereotypes, close quote. Indeed, the Post article touted musical classes flashcards and a variety of books that, quote, discuss intersectionality and broaden representation, along with, quote, short videos that teach parents and toddlers about anti-racism ideas, close quote. The feature also included feedback from a Canadian woman who founded a company that aims to stomp out bias amongst toddlers, psychology professors who study race and social interaction, and the owner of a children's bookstore that aligns with her mission of promoting black women authors, women's activism, and women artists. The Washington Post also spoke with performance artists with a goal to increase exposure to drag, support gender-variant children, and create an inclusive space, an inclusive space where everybody feels welcome, and a variety of other experts on the subject as well. Teaching kids to be neo-racists. Note how the assumption in the story that this is a self-evident good. Not a single source suggesting this point of view has its critics. Wrote Andrew Sullivan. Not a one. This is propaganda. When homeschooling demands explode, as I, as I, as I presume they soon will, old-school liberals may begin to, be, to understand why. What I'm describing above is not just propaganda. When it's used on toddlers and vulnerable parents, it's mental abuse. It's child exploitation. There's that word again. Exploitation. It can mean achieve as much as it can mean advance or further. Furtherance, And again, it's in the service of achieving a political end. Using children that way is a reproof to me. Netflix is just now working on a special aimed at toddlers in preschool produced by the radical racialist Ibram Kendi. In Kendi's book version, Anti-Racist Baby, which they are putting into film, toddlers are encouraged to, among other things, shout, quote, there's nothing wrong with the people. Celebrate our differences. Knock down the stock of cultural blocks. Confess when being racist. Grow to be an anti-racist. Believe we shall overcome racism. Close quote. Toddlers. Three and four-year-olds. Now, the first thing that comes to mind is why would a child need to be taught anti-racism in the first place? Are children naturally born thinking in terms of race? Or rather, are efforts like this geared toward getting them? to think in terms of race. If anyone needs help here, the answer is the second one. Children are, in point of fact, not born thinking people of color are better or worse than other people of color. As Rogers and Hammons, Ham, as Rogers and Hammerstein instructed many years ago, you've got to be taught before it's too late, before you are six or seven or eight, to hate all the people your relatives hate, you've got to be carefully taught. You have to be taught to hate. As someone put it earlier today, the one thing adults can actually learn from children is purity of heart and soul and lack of racial guile. So what are we doing to our children? From toddlers to teens, from toddlers being instructed in complex race theory to Teen Vogue promoting the virtues of communism to the Cartoon Network promoting the virtues of transgenderism. Plato in The Republic put it this way, Shall we just carelessly allow children to hear any casual tales which may be devised by casual persons and to receive into their minds ideas for the most part the very opposite of those which we should wish them to have when they are grown up? We cannot, and therefore it is most important that the tales which the young first hear should be models of virtuous thought. Then Then will our youth dwell in a land of health amid fair sights and sounds, and receive the good in everything, and beauty, the effluence of fair works, shall flow into the eye and ear like a health-giving breeze from a purer region, and indelibly draw the soul from the earliest years into likeness and sympathy with beauty and reason. There is no nobler training than that, close quote, said Plato. Now, when you're thinking about noble training, I think it's worth pointing out that we actually need to be taught that ourselves. I think I know why we need to be instructed in this, and it goes back to a quote by Roger Scruton. All the best things we have when abused will cause bad things to happen. You can plant into a child good as much as you can plant bad. You can implant the beauty of reason, and you can implant the ugliness of bad passion. When Allen Ginsberg visited Norman Podhoritz, trying to convert him to his leftist countercultural point of view, and Norman was having none of it, Allen left him saying, we'll get you through your children. Somehow I think the left understands all this better than we do. Leo Strauss wrote that liberal education is liberation from vulgarity. And he said the Greeks had a beautiful word for vulgarity. They called it Apericolia, lack of experience in things beautiful. Liberal education supplies us with experience in things beautiful, or it used to once upon a time. Is that what we're doing now? Or are we training in the experience of things ugly? Are we treating and teaching our children well? Or are we exploiting children and destroying not just their brains, but their souls? Destroying things and people beautiful i'm seth Liebson. we'll be right back welcome back 602 want to thank the great john gabriel for filling in yesterday i'm back and bill's back bill do you have a movie update for us or anything on the cultural front Have we discussed the movies we keep threatening to that you caught up on? I don't know that we have. Tootsie was one of them, wasn't it? We can talk about that later. There's a lot in the news today. And one thing I wanted to do, I ran out of time and didn't have a chance to get to. We'll talk more about this, too, if you like, having to do with the Boulder shooting is, um, you know, we usually – don't like to use the names of these uh, alleged perpetrators. We don't like to give them uh, the heroism that they seek or the recognition that they hope for. I have been uh, gratified that we don't really have that much prominence given to the name of the Atlanta shooter. I don't think anyone in earshot could name that name. That's a good thing. So there is a focus on the Boulder name because there's a focus on the Boulder Motives. Uh, Beyond mental illness, we can talk about that and we can talk about how counter narrative and countercultural that incident was, despite what almost seemed like homicidal fantasy wishes of portraying him as a right winger or a white man, because that's the narrative. Now it shifts, of course, to the gun debate that we seem to have after every one of these incidents. We never get into the mental health debate. We never do. And it's the main driver here. It's the trigger in the brain, the trigger in the head. As uh, my listener uh, Charles points out, more people die from things other than guns, are killed from things other than guns in this country. Certainly box cutters, certainly airplanes, certainly weaponized automobiles plowing into busy streets, certainly fertilizer bombs, certainly poison-laced drinks like Kool-Aid, certainly um, chambers and showers made of gas, certainly explosive-packed backpacks. Um, As Charles said, whatever the weapon, think about all these inanimate objects. They're at the end of a problem, not at the beginning. The beginning of the problem is the brain, and we can talk about that, and we can talk about involuntary commitment, we can talk about the fact that Boulder had a red flag law, we can talk about the fact that Boulder had an assault weapons ban. But the one thing I want us really to focus on, more than anything else probably, is one name, Eric Talley. Do you know the name Eric Talley, Bill? That's the problem. Too many people don't. It was a policeman who stormed in and got killed. Aged fifty-one, doing everything he could to save as many lives as he could before he was cut down by the Boulder Monster. Twenty-one-year-old. All he got was a shot in the leg, from which he could walk away from. Tally's family. Lost Mr. Talley. I think of officers like Talley and the heroes that we should always look for in these incidents. I know they don't make the same amount of news as the perpetrators of evil, but that's something kind of wrong about society, isn't it? Isn't that a wrong? We all know the terrorists' names. We all know the criminals' names. Few of us know the heroes' names. That's why on September 11th I like to talk about Rick Rascorla. That's why in the aftermath of a situation like this, I like to talk about Eric Talley. And I like to quote G.K. Chesterton. The romance of police activity keeps in some sense before the mind the fact that civilization itself is the most sensational of departures and the most romantic of rebellions by dealing with the unsleeping sentinels who guard the outposts of society tends to remind us that we live in an armed camp making war with a chaotic world and that the criminals, the children of chaos, are nothing but traitors within our gates. The romance of the police force is thus the whole romance of man. It is based on the fact that morality is the most dark and daring of conspiracies. It reminds us that while noiseless and Unnoticeable police management by which we are ruled and protected is only a successful night errantry. A night errantry. God bless you, Mr. Chesterton. And God bless our policemen and women who um, stand between civilization and chaos every single day. God bless Eric Talley. There's There's always a hero. There's always a hero to find in these tragedies. Remember specifically trying to elevate and raise the name of a name. It's hard to forget Libri Lubresco, who was a teacher at uh, Virginia Tech, who used his body, used his body. This Holocaust survivor used his body to hold the door shut from the killer, so that his students could jump out the window and run to safety. He yelled at them, "Run, run! Jump out the window!" And he, who was in his 80s and survived the Holocaust and was one of the favorite teachers, he lost his life in saving saving those children that he did save in Virginia and Blacksburg on that terrible day. These are all terrible days. But until we're willing to deal with the trigger in the brain, the trigger in the head, I don't think we'll ever get a handle on them. Because we'll never get a handle fully on evil unless we grasp evil. And we'll never get a handle fully on mental illness unless we grasp mental illness. It's not that hard to do. And everyone and anyone who's been involved in that system or has experience with it knows it's ripe for reform. And those reforms could be rather easy and rather simple if we could get past the notion that civil libertarians have, which is that the sick are the best judges of their own sanity. They are not. And to the degree we're a sick society is the degree to which we believe that the sick are the best judges of their own sanity. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates with our culture and economy update. John, happy Wednesday. How are you?
1: Fantastic. Thank you, Seth. How about yourself?
0: I'm fine. And I learned something today, too, about my producer, Bill, whom you know. Everyone in life, you know, has a tell that kind of explains the rest of their character. You know, right? Right. Like if people know that you like to buy a certain thing or whatever, you can deduce certain things about their character. Mm-hmm. Well, we had a bunch of cookies delivered to the office today—chocolate chip, peanut butter—the <laughs> whole, the, the whole realm. Yeah. He chose. He chose on his own the oatmeal raisin. Well, you know, I do like
1: a good Google. Oh old gosh, bacon. stop I do. it! I do like a. Stop good But it. I do like chocolate chip too. Yes,
0: yes, <laughs> yes.
1: Of course, everybody usually peanut grabs
0: butter chocolate, chocolate chip. chip but, but the other y- kinds, who picks know, oatmeal raisin?
1: You might be looking at it the wrong way. Yeah, he may have thought you liked chocolate chip so much that he thought he would leave that for you.
0: So uh, the Fed Chairman uh, <laughs> I'm not that kind, Jerome Powell, yes, uh, he's uh, he he made some headlines today, yes, talking about the stimulus package and that uh, concerns about inflation are a little overplayed, right?
1: Yeah, and, and I mean he's been very uh, clear. Uh, and very consistent any any time he speaks over the past you know 6 7 months where he's basically said that their goal is to get inflation around 2% and to try to maintain that 2%. If it goes a little bit more than 2% that's okay, a little less than 2, they're not necessarily they just want to see a, a consistent uh you know range in that 2% area. And he believes that With everything that's going on, including all the stimulus that we've seen here just recently, the 1.9 million – or 1 trillion. Yeah, right. Million, (laughs) really. Oh, trillion. Um, (laughs) We're just
0: talking about your wife's kitchen at that point. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Yes. Um, And now, of course, another $3 uh, being proposed by the current administration. Wow. Um, Thinking that this is not necessarily going to – uh, create uh, so much uh, growth, so quick of a growth that it's going to create inflation. But yet it, it seems to me, and I've, you and I have talked about this, yeah. everything that we as consumers are uh, buying is seems to have a higher price tag today. Yeah. Yeah. So how is it that they, they can consistently say that – Um, He doesn't believe long-term this is going to be inflationary. It's going to be hard. The argument is is once the economy starts to move forward and reopen, people have the highest savings rates they've had in in a very long time. They believe spending is going to occur. The economy is going to grow over 6%, which is a much higher – Uh, rate than they expected. All of these things lead to what we would normally think that there was going to be inflation. But today, again, he said it, they believe that um, inflation is not going to be an issue. You know,
0: we're reading articles and some consumers have experience with um, how it's been made more difficult to get certain goods, automobiles, mm-hmm. things that yes. were shut down, current. and I, I bet that's going to drive prices higher too. Well, chips supply for automobiles issues.
1: too. Yes, supply Pardon? chains. You bet. And, and chips are uh, in shortage yeah. right now. Computer, uh, you know, the computer chips right. uh, for just about everything. But but vehicles is one of the big ones right. that are that are suffering from right. that. So you're right. Uh, you know, Intel announced they're going to be spending twenty. Um, 20 what a 200 million or 20 million dollars no. to build I, I i don't have the article in front of me uh, but they're going to be building two new plants here in arizona again just devoted to manufacturing chips they're the largest united you know the u.s uh, chip manufacturer uh, and so they're they're serious about this we have a chip shortage and uh this is again again will the cost of of chips go up it seems like it should, right, if we have a shortage, supply and demand. Well, I
0: think so, and I think wages will uh, you know, um, be interesting mm-hmm. uh, and at play, too, if, if we don't get a handle on the immigration crisis as well. Absolutely. So there's a lot of different pressures that are coming that I'm glad you're keeping your eye out on, John.
1: Well, what's interesting, Seth, is that we're trying to understand and get our arms wrapped around this because we, it, it helps us develop our portfolios for our clients. Where yeah. do we need to be investing uh, these assets in certain sectors of the market And you know Inflationary pressures certainly will um, Lead us to a direction Of our investment strategy And so we want to make sure we understand that And see what those trends are going to be
0: That's what I love yeah. about you You look at the economy through all lenses yes. Thank yes. You, Folks can
1: get a hold of us of course At GrandCanyonPlanning.com to request an appointment Or they can of course hear me on KKNT at 7am Right there for the word on wealth Each and every Saturday morning Securities and advisory services offered to Client1 Securities LLC, a member of FinRecipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Plenty Associates LLC, and Client1 Securities LLC are not affiliated.
0: Without notes, he says that every day, folks. He goes to bed saying, <laughs> well, he wakes up saying. <laughs> it's in right my brain. along with the prayer of j yes. God love you, John. Love you press. too, yeah. Bye-bye. I'll talk to you later. I'm Seth Leapson, 602 508 We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Congressman David Schweikert will be joining us at the top of the hour as he does every Wednesday. We'll talk to him about the goings on at the border. I want to say a few more things about it myself and a few other things. Uh Megan Rapino. Yeah, I'm saying that right. Rapino, women's soccer, um women's uh soccer champ is uh Blasting away at the U.S. again. I've been devalued. I've been disrespected and dismissed because I am a woman, she said today at the the White House. Despite all the wins, I'm still paid less than men who do the same job that I do. Well, yeah, but the men, the men soccer teams bring in billions and you guys bring in millions and maybe more people would watch you if you weren't stomping on the American flag physically. And maybe more people would watch you if you weren't so obnoxious about not standing for the national anthem. And maybe more people would be interested in rewarding you with everything America has when you can show maybe just a little gratitude to everything America has given you rather than stomping and spitting On the American flag, I have very little use for people like her. They think she's telling truth to power. They think that she's someone you can't mess with. I have a feeling she might be an idiot. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob.
2: (laughs) Hi, Seth. I have a feeling uh, she definitely is, but then all people like that appear to be not well grounded in basic values and truth. And uh, are obviously uh, run their lives by emotions rather than thought. Well, I also
0: just got to tell you, I, if, if, if audience share is the issue, is spitting on and hating on your own country a good way to build it?
2: Well, no. And that's why, you know, i have worried about these actors and celebrities who, uh, you know, automatically, whatever they say on the left, alienate half of their potential you know, fans or uh, people that. it's it's, it's almost as though they can't help it because they do have that sort of, you know, elitist mindset that uh, makes them think that anything they say uh, should be paid attention to. And in fact, just the opposite should be paid attention to. But, you know, I'm funny that way. Um, uh, Also, I want to thank you. I did uh, actually just today, Scott Pressler sent me his phone number. So I'm going to arrange to have him on our podcast uh, whenever we can work out a a date. I know he's incredibly busy, but uh, thank you for having him on last week. He was awesome.
0: Yeah, he was awesome.
2: He was just great. I also, and again, many thanks to you. Uh, uh, God, Mark Recorian coming on board. Yeah, too. also awesome. Yeah, and Doctor Daniel Kurtz. So I mean, you're you're just uh, batting a thousand with me. Well, anyway, I'll
0: tell you. I, I'm glad you take it seriously. I bring people on. You know, I, I there are shows that have more guests, I suppose, and. My rule about guests is are they someone who can actually move the ball forward and contribute something that we don't already know or hear? And um, I, uh, you've, you've seized on, on, on three of them who I think can do that regularly and routinely. I try and bring you public intellectuals that have something to offer, not just public intellectuals who write because they can.
2: No, and and Seth, I mean, keep doing what you're doing, because, again, I I still hold you in high esteem and think you're the greatest talk show host in the country, if not the world, and I sincerely mean that. Um, The real real reason I was calling, I was listening to your monologue, and I don't know where this came from, but I was thinking all of a sudden of Aesop's fables. Um, Aesop, apparently, and this could have been an imaginary person, we don't really know for sure, had... Uh, a lot of very short stories. And I guess this was like in ancient Greece, 600 or so BC, you know, around the time of our uh, Aristotle's and Plato's and everything. But every, I, I remember as a kid uh, and, and some people probably remember things like the tortoise and the hare, and uh, the wolf and sheep's clothing, you know, and the town mouse and the country mouse. And, but, but the thing that I remember, and he had many, many short stories was, these were all stories that, at the end, had a lesson. Right. You know, and, and that's, I just wonder if, uh, again, uh, anybody, uh, a parent or a school anywhere, is even introducing Aesop's fables to, and again, this is more for young kids, but um, I think, again, being influenced, and maybe I'm showing my age again, uh, by such things uh, where there's a short story, And it usually involves an animal or two uh, in in his stories. Um, But again, every single one had a certain lesson. And it was all designed, I think, to create uh, a grounded sense of morals and values. Um, And again, you know, when we were going through, you know, uh, the uh, how to be an anti racist and all this other nonsensical book crap. Um, I, again, this just comes to me, Aesop's fables came to mind. Um, I think you mentioned Aristotle. Maybe that's what triggered it. But but I thought, you know, rather than read all this insane crap, maybe a back-to-basics movement is required, which includes, especially for young kids, instead of transgender um, uh, drag queen story hour, why don't we break out Aesop's fables and make the kids really learn something that matters and that will ground them better? than any of the other nonsense that keeps pouring out
0: these days. Well, I'm for it and a big proponent of it. Um, I think the problem is – how much time do I have, Bill? I think the – thank you. Thanks. I think the problem with it, Rob, is a shame, a sad shame, that Aesop Mm -hmm. equals Greek, Easter equals Western equals bad. And and, and 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 that's the shame. So in 1993, William Bennett did the Book of Virtues, and he wrote them. None of the stories were new. They were all old that, that people of his generation and before had grown up with. And he wrote them for teachers because he thought teachers were asking him for good moral lessons for the children. Turns out the schools didn't want it because already in the 90s, the uh, political correctness and multiculturalism – was aimed against something by um, by William Bennett, but but the truth is this: these morals that you're talking about that you get from Aesop they are universal. Um, they don't have anything to do with respect of culture or race. You, are there any kids from any culture or race who like to have their lunch money stolen? Are there any girls from any cu- culture or race who? like to be grabbed against their will or little boys who like to be bullied and beaten up regardless of culture, nation, origin, religion. There is no child that likes that stuff. These things are universal and should be and a lot more valuable, I think, than the kind of, as you put it, crud that we're feeding them now. Drag Queen Story Hour. What's the point of that? You teach what you want to get, right? I'll let you say another word on it if you want on the other side. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Robert. are you still with us there? I'm always with you, Seth. You know that. Thank you, brother. So, um, you know, there's this notion that morals... And virtues uh, obtain by ethnicity, race, and culture, and they really don't. They really don't. Uh, find me the little boy or little girl from what culture they like to be abused, beaten on,
2: oh, exactly. trodden
0: upon. You know, find yeah. me that person.
2: Yeah, and and again, that's another reason why I think Aesop's uh, fables are so good for any culture, yes, any, of any course. color, person, any race, any country. Uh, As long as it's translated into the right language and so forth, because these are timeless virtues and values um, that, again, I think everything is going against uh, in the world we live in today, or at least in the culture we live in today. And that's what really bothers me the most. I mean, it's almost like we need to go back to basics, you know, good parenting, uh, good schooling and uh, instilling the right values and the right ideals and the right lessons that just don't appear to be happening now which after 30 or 40 years is why we're in the situation we're in today
0: here's a sad thought but i think true if someone went to most curriculum committees in most schools in america and said i can present to you one of two curriculums one has a story about a cat and a group of cats and a mouse and the dangers of everyone suggesting something, but you know what happens when, when it comes time for someone to put the bell on the cat, teaching courage, teaching effort, if I could bring you a story about, um, if I could bring you a story about crying wolf, if I could bring you a story about perseverance and, uh, bra- and bragging uh, on the one hand, or if I could bring you a story of um, transgendered um, clowns teaching their lifestyle with puppets. Uh, What what do you think most curriculum committees would accept today? Uh, The answer is the second. Because there's this avant-garde attitude about it. There's this Mm -hmm. new and untried thing. And we just dispense with everything that's worked to try the new and untried. And we're playing experiments with children, Rob, and their brains and, frankly, their souls that are unprecedented. They're unprecedented um, in, 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 in human history. It's as if we've taken everything we've learned about the magic of Once Upon a Time and a good moral and healthy tale, which children used to delight in, to giving them the worst of the worst of the grimmest of the darkest parts of society and teaching them that it's daylight. It's it's an experiment that I think is going to fail, and what's unfortunate is it's going to take some years for us to realize it, and then it'll be too late.